She's sharp, pointed, and insightful. This is Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. There is not a scintilla of evidence that this president is a racist. And just because you say it okay, every time so, you're on CNN, so, so and just because the show says it every single night, doesn't let's, make we, it let him true. Let him. The largest retailer in the world had never considered that maybe their commercial shouldn't be right before or after a song about young black men being gunned down. It's not just another black kid. These are human beings. I was born in a world where black murder was normal. My kids were born into a world where black murder is normal. But I don't want to die in a world where black murder is normal. Let's feel this pain and let's lift our voice to tell the lies. They are not criminals. They are not deviants. And their lives are just as important as ours. I learned very early on in politics that this is a cutthroat world and you have to be tough. 20 years in politics and I've learned some lessons. Number one, you have to look out for yourself. And now, Stacey Washington. Hello. (laughs) Why am I giggling? Why am I so amused? Because YouTube is forever. And because of that foreverism, we're able to go back into the annals of history. Just a couple of short years ago when Omarosa Manigault Newman was supporting President Trump, all the while taping all of their conversations and really breaching their 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 confidential relationships. But whatever. She was just having a good time doing what she did. And I just like to compare the two. I mean, is he a racist who uses the N-word all the time? Or is he the guy that she said, you know, the rest of America, indeed the whole world, would have to bow down to the most powerful man in the universe so we'll listen to that audio and we'll giggle and we'll you know you pop pop your popcorn in or maybe you maybe you'd like to drink hot tea during this time of day whatever your your uh, beverage of choice we'll just enjoy that moment we'll savor the hypocrisy of her now coming out as having been basically a plant a self-plant uh, in the Trump campaign and then the Trump administration and then we'll move on yeah so today on the program We have a lot of really good information. We're going to catch up on all of the news. And then, of course, we have um, something important. We'll take your calls. We'll be speaking with the listeners. I love talking to you guys and and getting catching up on what you think is important and your reactions to what we share on the show. And then we're going to have Carol Markowitz this hour. She's a columnist for the New York Post. She's going to come on and talk about the media's blatant hypocrisy in media bashing. So interesting perspective there. And then uh, we're also going to talk about later on in the program, there's a gentleman named Michael Smith. He happens to be uh, a, a white man who has spent years of his life working as a pastor and a minister in black churches. And he has this TED talk that... Um, I listened to actually a while ago and I've talked about it before, but I feel like it's important to bring it up again. Now it ties into today's news in that the president called Omarosa a dog on Twitter. And so there's a long list of people who've been called a dog by president Trump. And you guys know, for me, that the Twitter is not the main event. It's the sideshow. It's like when you go to a barbecue, um, the most important thing there is the ribs or the steak. Or the pork steak. The sideshow is the coleslaw. Like, and, and for those of you out there who are coleslaw aficionados, there are amazing coleslaws. There are certain restaurants who do amazing things. But for me, I'm not going to a barbecue so I can sample the coleslaw. I'm going there for barbecued cow and pig. 
And when we look at what the president is doing for this country, the main event, the barbecued ribs, the baby back ribs, the St. Louis ribs, the ones with the special rub that have been uh, dry aged, that all of that is the policies that all of that is the the 100 points that he promised us during the campaign. This is what I'm going to do if you elect me. Now he's acting on a bunch of that. That's the main event. The coleslaw um, or even, you know, the the pink lemonade is the the Twitter account. Now, yes, the president can use his Twitter account for great good and he can reach millions of Americans with that Twitter account. But he can also, uh, you know, strike back at people who've lashed out against him. And when he does that, it, it doesn't impact the support that people who voted for him feel. I know some people are embarrassed. You know, some people get upset about it. But if you're expecting him to change, I, I have to say, you know, what what other person do you know in their 70s in your life, real people, real people that you actually get to interact with that radically change their behavior in their 70s? I mean, obviously, if you become a Christian in your 70s, you're going to be radically different. But I'm talking about just their regular everyday habits that they engage in, which these habits have been cultivated over the past almost 20 years that Donald Trump has been in the television world. So I'm not excusing it, but I am saying that I'm seeing some hypocrisy on the part of people who are so upset about the president calling Omarosa a dog, but they also, if you check their, check their iPod on their phone or check their Android device or check their Spotify account or their Pandora account, and you'll find lots of music by Jay-Z and Beyonce and uh, you know other rappers and hip-hop artists who regularly talk about murder and rape and everything else you can think of, Eminem, they're just bobbing their head and singing the lyrics. They're fine with that, but I guess because it's the president and he's supposed to be so much different than the rest of us, we need to get out of this idea that the people we elect, the people we elect from out of our regular everyday lives that go to Washington, D.C. are somehow above and separate and apart from the culture that we live in here in America. The fact is, Donald Trump is a reflection of Americans, now, you may not be a cursor, you may not be a hardcore tweeter, you not, may not be what Donald Trump calls vicious, um, which in his case, he uses it as a positive, not a pejorative. I mean, I don't know Donald Trump, so I'm just going by what, he's, what he said. Look, listen around your, so next time you're out somewhere, just listen. Walk up and down the aisles at Walmart or Target, you know, Target. Go to Home Goods or Bed Bath & Beyond and see, don't you hear, people who look a lot younger then they ought to look using the F-bomb. Turn on your television. How often do you hear profanity dropped on cable television? Look at what our culture is right now. It's time to take the blinders off, to drop the scales from our eyes and acknowledge that it's not an oddity that he talks this way and tweets this way. It is the norm for Americans. Now, if you're living that sanctified life and this is not your norm, God bless you. I'm right there with you. But I'm talking about the greater culture. The fact is, more people curse than not. More people drop the F-bomb in, in everyday conversation than not. More people actually have this, this it's like a, a, a way of basically, that's just the way everyone talks. And I'm coming out of, remember, I was on active duty in the Air Force where cursing was a normal part of everyday life. And we weren't even really as good at cursing as people who were in the Army or Marines. I mean, they, cursing is a language of its own. And I came out of that into, you know, we moved to the Midwest and I realized, wow, civilians don't really talk like this. You know, I was, I was, my dad was in the Army. So, I mean, he could curse with the best of them. Military policemen. 
Vietnam War vet. So, you know, this this was going from that to kind of going into a much more civilized, if you will, type of uh, environment. And so I cleaned up my language. But that doesn't mean everyone has clean language. And so when when we see what's going on in the country, it's not for us to be, yeah, we can be horrified, but it's not for us to act as if that, you know, that's an abnormal. No, this is, check out all the memes online, how the teenagers, even the 12 year olds and the 11 year olds are always talking about, they use an abbreviation for the F-bomb. And it's supposed to mean as far as you can go, like if you if you say that's fantastic, it used to be, if you said something was fantastic, it was as good as it could possibly be. But fantastic doesn't describe it anymore. Now you, you have to use something even more, you know, it basically go beyond that. And so they use a form of the F-bomb to describe everything. It's food. It's, you know, someone's beautiful. Someone's ugly. Someone's fat. Someone's thin. It's the, per, the variation of the F-bomb. I'm not justifying it. I'm not saying it's okay. But I am saying we, if we want to see a godly leader elected in this country, it starts with us. We need a godly country first. That doesn't mean we turn into a theocracy, but it does mean those of us who claim Christianity have to be living that Christian worldview. And really, it's hard. It's difficult. But it doesn't mean it's not fun and that we can't have the most, the maximum amount of joy in it and, and really experience all that God has for us in living that way. So I just want to give you a list of people that the president has called a dog before on Twitter. Steve Bannon, who used to be his best bud. David Gregory and Chuck Todd of NBC, George Will, who used to be a Republican, Mitt Romney, Hosni Mubarak, Glenn Beck, Eric Erickson, Brent Bozell, Bill Maher, Kristen Stewart, who's an actress, and Jeremiah Wright have all been called dogs by President Trump. But, you know, prior to him being the president and, and after some of these people, it was after. So. Yesterday's tweet to Omarosa was not exactly the groundbreaking bellwether tweet that people are making it out to be. And if you're really offended by that, then you're also offended by Jay-Z's lyrics and some of Beyonce's, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, make yourself consistent. Be consistent, okay? So now I want to pivot over to our guest, which I'm so excited to speak to her again, Carol Markowitz. She's a columnist for the New York Post. Thank you, Carol, for joining us today. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Hi, I'm, I'm excited to speak to you. About your piece, the media's blatant hypocrisy in media bashing. What what's what's going on? So, there's been a lot of concern from the media about Donald Trump's rhetoric about the press. And to be honest, I do not want Donald Trump to be attacking the, the media. I I understand it's part of his shtick, but I wish he would give it up and, and not go that route. But they keep playing it as. Donald Trump is inciting violence against the media, and any minute now, one of his crazy supporters is going to attack the press. Meanwhile, last weekend, an Antifa member did attack the press, and no one seems to care. And then, in parallel to that, Mayor Bill de Blasio has been on a tear attacking News Corp, who own Fox News, New York Post, Wall Street Journal, and some other properties— um, and are based in, in New York City, the city that, in which he is mayor, and nobody thinks he's inciting violence against the, the company. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think the media has been really nuts about Donald Trump and his comments, and they have been largely silent at, about actual threats like the one over the weekend. Also, I, I to add to this, and I'm not sure if you saw that the um, Antifa 
protesters at the one year anniversary of the Unite the Right rally and, you know, all of that mm-hmm. nonsense. Antifa was there and they were actually um, they were actually attacking the police and they were attacking the journalists who were covering the event. And I've not right. seen a lot of coverage on that, except I think Chris Cuomo over at CNN was actually defending them, saying they had the moral high ground. But they attacked journalists, right. which I thought I, I don't think that's acceptable. I am not one of those people who's like, oh, yeah, you know, the media should be attacked physically. You know, there, there oh, are absolutely. people who yeah. are bad actors yeah, I, sometimes. I, right. But right. not not all media. Yeah. yeah. I mentioned that in my piece that they um, attacked police. They threw firecrackers at police. They threw eggs at Secret Service and they physically assaulted this journalist. And yet it's a really glossy, um, warm coverage that they're receiving. CNN, New York Times, Washington Post all put anti-hate groups, describe Antifa as an anti-hate group in the headline of the pieces about, about this march. So there's a narrative here, and there's a story that they want to tell, and when, when the story doesn't fit, they don't bother to amend it at all. Yeah, I, yeah. So this, all I'm wanting, I, I don't actually need anyone to be, you know, pro-President Trump or pro-people on the right or any of that stuff. What mm-hmm. I'd really just love right. is if they would say, you know, just like we don't like the the language from President Trump at the rallies, which I actually didn't really care about it until kind of just recently where it, I actually don't care what he says about any of the individual groups or people that oppose him or any of that stuff. But I do care when the conversation surrounding things that he said or tweeted eclipses things that are happening that are actually good. Like there's right. a couple of news stories that I haven't seen reported at all on CNN or MSNBC or any of the major networks, which is that Secretary Zinke is going to ship the headquarters of the uh, Bureau of Land Management out of Washington, D.C. And I actually think by the sound of it, from what I've read, it sounds like a great idea. But what I would love is for someone with a huge audience, you know, an international audience like CNN to interview mm-hmm. Ryan Zinke or someone from the Bureau of Land Management to talk about what right. this looks like. And then there's also another agency, the U.S. Department of Agriculture. They're also planning on moving to the far west coast. They're considering Seattle. So mm-hmm. I think if Americans knew about that, that Americans would give public comment and kind of say, you know, because we get some of our best ideas from America, you know, what instead of Seattle, maybe another city that's a little smaller, right. but is still centrally located. Um, so Trump is all the air in the room and he has right. been this entire time. It's not working for me because I want to have conversations mm-hmm. about the issues. So I, I want to continue this. I know you're done at the bottom of the hour at 330, but let's let's hold on and we'll be right back with more Carol Markowitz of uh, The Washington Post right after this. Hi, I'm Will Addison. And I'm Miki. From airing the Addisons on Urban Family Talk. We'd like to invite you to the Marriage, Family, and Life Conference coming up August 17th and 18th. The list of speakers is amazing. We have Ryan Baumberger of the Radiance Foundation, Dr. Clarence Schuler of Building Lasting Relationships, Abraham Hamilton III, Pastor Bert Harper and his wife Jan, Stacy Washington, Lonnie Poindexter, Pastor Dexter Sanders, and we'll be there too. There's a direct attack by the enemy on marriage and family, and babies in the womb are treated like political footballs instead of life. We want to encourage and equip the body of Christ to fight for the restoration of the family. If we can get our families on track, a lot of society's problems could be solved. 
The Marriage, Family, and Life Conference is from Urban Family Communications, a division of the American Family Association. You can learn more and register at urbanfamilytalk.com. Hi, this is Crawford Loritz with a Legacy Moment. Some years ago, a good pastor friend of mine experienced burnout. Years of leading a growing urban church and the pressures of meeting the unique challenges of the people in this community took their toll. He was discouraged and in the grips of a paralyzing depression. He took some time off for rest and healing. Well, God used an unlikely man to encourage him. They had very little in common with one another. They differed theologically in many other areas. But my friend said that this man cared deeply about him and that God used him as a very significant part of his healing. Sometimes God speaks through people in situations we would least expect. I thought about this when I read Ezra chapter 6, verse 22. The work of the rebuilding of the temple had stopped. The people were discouraged. Morale was low. But listen to these words as they got ramped up again. And they observed the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy. For the Lord had caused them to rejoice and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria toward them to encourage them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This unbelieving king says, I don't believe in your God, but I know that you were told to do this, and I want to remove every barrier, every hindrance to make sure that you're successful. Wow. God uses whomever he chooses, even pagan leaders of wicked nations. So keep your heart options open. You might be surprised at who God will use to lift your spirits and to give you what you need to keep going. Well, here's what I want you to remember today. God is a lot bigger than we think he is. He has what we need. It just may not be in the places we typically look. Legacy Moment is a production of Moody Radio, a ministry of Moody Global Ministries. You can watch a live stream of the show on Facebook or YouTube at Stacy on the Right. Now, back to the show on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the program. We have seven minutes left with Carol Markowitz, and we're so excited to speak to her. She's a columnist for the New York Post, and her piece um, is entitled The Media's Blatant Hypocrisy, Even About Media Bashing. So uh, one of the things that I think is really interesting um, is that if the media were to be more even-handed in their reporting, then two things would happen, possibly. We, we have no crystal ball, but isn't it conceivable that the president would lighten up on the criticism if he received even scant fair reporting from them and that the American people would trust media outlets more because they would see some balance to the reporting? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the thing is that I, I always say this, if Republicans are waiting for the media to be fair to them, they're going to be waiting a very long time. <laughs> media people have innate biases, and it would be just so much better if those biases were exposed at, as they're doing their, you know, reporting. Um, that's the perfect world that I'd like to live in, but I know that that's, they, they hold each other, themselves up as, like, defenders of democracy, and, you know, what they do is so far above partisanship that, no, they would never be partisan. And yet, study after study shows that most newsrooms are overwhelmingly democratic. So it, it's something that is very hard to get over. And obviously, Donald Trump has it even worse, I would say, than George W. Bush or, um, you know, other Republicans. But the media skewered Mitt Romney. I mean, Mitt Romney, this, like, nice 
guy who like has almost no skeletons whatsoever and they still went after him so hard on so many different things. I mean, Binders Full of Women remains one of the most idiotic, you know, attacks in history. And yet he's not he didn't become president because of their ongoing barrage of attacks at him. So yeah, you know, Donald Trump um should maybe rise above some of the criticism that he gets, but he's he's not that guy. He's not the guy who takes the hits and, and continues on. He enjoys the fight. So they're going to continue to have fights with him, and I don't think the American people are seeing it and thinking that the media is so far above what he's doing. Well, okay, so two quick points there. Um, first of all, isn't it kind of ironic that they attacked Mitt Romney and drove him from office when the possibility of him running yet one more time had he not been so completely vilified and if, if he'd won would have meant that they wouldn't have to deal with Donald Trump wow, because Donald yeah. Trump doesn't back down. Right. <laughs> that, so they kind of made a their very bed. Funny course of history. Yeah. So then if we can, if we carry that on knowing Donald Trump, so he, he's always been a bit of a flamethrower, but he's, he was much calmer. I've gone back and watched a lot of YouTube videos that are of like meet the press and, Uh, 60 Minutes and all these different programs that he's been on when he was just a developer in New York. And he would talk Mm -hmm. about Korea and intellectual property theft from China. And he was always very direct, still New York, but nothing like he is now where he's like, just like, if you punch him, he launches a nuclear weapon at you. So that part of him is the most recent iteration of Donald Trump that was developed over his years of being on The Apprentice. The flamethrowing increased his social media and made the show more popular. So after Mm -hmm. 17 years of him doing that and kind of developing this persona, now people seem like they want him to go and almost be a Mitt Romney, which he will never be. And he so they created right. him. Yeah. They, yeah so the absolutely. media created him. And, they and, made you know, him and he's president. So he, it worked. Yeah. His flamethrowing worked. So should he like, so I guess my other second part to that, Carol, is they made this possible. The possibility of Donald Trump is a unique creation of today's American media, uh, the, which mm-hmm. t- trends liberal. So should Donald Trump try to be a sweater vest wearing, you know, older version of Mitt Romney? Or should he? Because and it's almost as if they're saying, "Yeah, we made you, and we knew you were like this." But yeah. and mm-hmm. and we're going to keep hitting you, but you can't hit us back. And Donald Trump right. is saying, "No, I'm teaching you that every time you hit me, I'm going to hit you back." Whether it's and I thought that his comment about Mika Brzezinski, I was I I was so flabbergasted when he you know talked about Mika Brzezinski yeah, yeah, the way yeah. he did. Uh-huh. I mean, yeah. it was rough. It, I, I thought that was yeah. like whoa. But then I thought, doesn't she also say he's mentally ill and psychologically unstable right, on her right, show right, every right. day? I mean, <laughs> right. it, it's well, as if people don't yeah. listen to what the, the insults. So a couple of things. Yes, absolutely. I think there's so much below the belt attack, below the belt attacks on Donald Trump that he goes back with the below the belt, you know, attacking people's looks and like their wives, mm-hmm. etc. So, you know, but, but he is president, and I'd love to see him act more presidential. So, no, I'm not waiting for him to be a sweater vest Mitt Romney. That's never going to happen. <laughs> um, but it would be great if he would stop the attacks on Twitter, because I do think he's going to face political repercussions. It might not be at him. His base loves him and comes out for him. But, you know, the Republicans are facing a, a tough race this November, and yeah. what they're losing is college-educated Republicans in the suburbs who don't like this kind of mudslinging. So yeah. it, we'll see if he changes his tune, if the blue wave really does come to pass. Well, 
I, I agree with you. Unfortunately, um, I don't think that people have made the connection that you and I kind of just, you know, stumbled upon there between the attack of Mitt Romney and the, the complete, it was like a dismantling of him. And yeah. I, Mitt Romney was never my guy, like, you know, primary wise, I was right, always right, for someone right. else. Same. Yeah. But afterwards, when he was the guy, and I began to learn about him, you know, aside from his debacle with, you know, the the grandfather of Obamacare that he implemented when he was governor. Aside from that, I couldn't find much about him not to like his family life, his relationship right. with his wife, the guy. grandkids. Yeah. Yep. And then also when he would talk about the issues, like he was the one who called out that Russia was really a geopolitical foe. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He like, created that by you. Oh, my gosh. He was the first one. So mm-hmm. I, I there was a lot about him that I thought, you know, if he wins, we're we're going to win like as a country even liberals will win with a Mitt Romney mm-hmm. because he he had a little bit of a moderate streak in him that was weird right. because he was so conservative on on like everything but then there was this mo- like the the healthcare thing so i thought he, liberals will be angry but they won't be as angry the further we get into it like we will have stuff to be mad about too but then they took him apart and for the very thing that they said he was doing which is war on women he actually proved that he was the opposite of someone who didn't want to hire women, and they used the proof to destroy him, that and the 48% comment, and now right. here we are with Donald Trump. So I just, I'm not, so first of all, I don't want the midterms to be a bloodbath. I want to see the continuation of this agenda because Obama got a chance to implement his agenda. He did everything except the Supreme Court, the last Supreme Court appointment went mm-hmm. you know, according to plan. And I think that the Republicans and their president, you know, deserve the same opportunity. But I also think there's a big it's like we're at a tipping point, Carol, where the civility has gone out the window and so is everything else. And we're seeing people that aren't acting like Americans, like Antifa and all of that. And I just don't want Mm -hmm. that to keep going. I know you have to go. I'll give you the last word. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thank you so much, Carol. Speak to you again soon. She had a, a hard um, next appointment that she had to get to at 2.30, so we split the interview over the, over the break. But I thought, um, and I have to go back to her piece for just a moment really quickly. Um, she said in her piece that this past Sunday, she's recounting how Bill de Blasio sat down with Brian Stelter at CNN to continue his crybaby News Corp is mean to me, so I wish they'd disappear tour. And Stelter had been pummeled on Twitter for glossing over the mayor's comments when he originally made them the prior week. So when de Blasio commented, if you could remove news, remove news court from the last 25 years of American history, we'd be in an entirely different place. Some people reported that as an attack on the press. Well, Stelter made sure to clarify that this was merely an attack on Rupert Murdoch and his properties and therefore doesn't count. So the point that Carol is making in her piece and that she made so well here on the show is that, you know, while a lot of people don't appreciate the kinds of interactions that the president has online um he does have a point and that's what keeps it from going completely off the rails and so i don't i don't like to see anybody calling somebody else a dog i don't like to see anybody kind of pushing it to the point where it's personal insults but i also think we have to be realists and we have to uh you go with with the lay of the land as it is. You can try to change it, but you have to acknowledge where you are. And where we are is we have a president who's not going to take any type of insults or any type, anything, nothing from anyone. Like no matter where it's coming from, he's always going to hit back. So then the question is, what do you do after that? What do you, you know that now, now what? 
Let's go to the phones. We have Rory from Florida. Thank you for calling into the show today. Hi, Stacey. How are you? Doing good. How are you doing? Good. Um, I just wanted to touch on basically what you've been talking about for the last half hour. And um, I, I see it as well as far as what we talk about, how, how Trump is using Twitter and his language and everything. But overall, I mean, I see it as what I quote-unquote call the classification of America as far as this is what the media as far as pop culture is putting out there. We have in the past 15 years lowered our standards of dress of music, of mm-hmm. acting to a, a place that in some ways it's, it's unrecognizable. It's, it's uncivil. And the thing about it is, is, you know, with Trump tweeting, he's not, he's tweeting, like you say, in his defense. But the, the thing about it is, for eight years with Obama, we never had a media that criticized Obama, mm-hmm. only maybe Fox News or any conservative outlet. Well, now the tables have turned, and it's kind of like he's calling them out because all they do is criticize. Mm-hmm. And like you stated and the guest stated, it, maybe if they did ease up on the, on the criti- criticism, mm-hmm. criticizing excuse me, of him, mm-hmm. maybe he would tone down the rhetoric of his tweet. I think he would. Um, I, I, I don't think he's expecting them to ever like him or treat him the way they did during the campaign. But I do think that just even scant coverage of some of the good things that are going on would, it would just go so far. You know how it is when the relationship is bad and one nice thing occurs between the two people. It just, you you can see the relief wash over both individuals. And there's that brief moment where you could actually just be a little nicer to each other more often. It's, it's on the horizon. You both can see it for the first time in ages. That's the kind of thing that I think most Americans would like to see. They'd like to see fewer tweets from the president um, that aren't related to policy. And they'd like to see some, just some positive coverage of maybe not the president himself, but positive coverage of some of the actions that he's taken. And that doesn't seem to be happening. And, and so I'll, I'll also um, I'll point out that the point that Rory made about our culture degrading over the past 15 years, reality television has played a large role in that. And, I encourage you, you might be someone who, you know, you might enjoy watching The Real Housewives or something like that or The Bachelor or something of that nature. Uh, If you stop watching it for a week or so, it might take longer than that. It might take maybe a month. Um, Sometimes we'll fast television where we won't watch TV for a while. And then when you cut it back on, you're always shocked to see like, whoa, whoa, I guess I was watching this every week. And so it makes you reevaluate your television viewing habits, your diet of television. And I think we've all become desensitized to what is the norm on television. And if we were to just kind of go back in time a while and compare, or if we were to, you know, kind of imagine viewing television for the first time as someone who just, you know, you just show up here and you view the television and you're like, oh, interesting. You know, what's this show? We would all be shocked and the things that we allow our kids to watch. I, I know our kids were uh, wanting to watch this. It's a reality cooking show. But every one of the contestants who are, you know, want to be chefs, they spent so much time cursing that I told, I, I told the kids, I said, I know you want to watch this show, but 
do we really want to sit here and listen to them drop all these F-bombs and all this just because they're cooking and, and things aren't going perfectly? And the kids, you know, they agreed, but they were they were interested in seeing the dishes and stuff that they made. And I said, we surely can find another show like that that doesn't have all of the cursing. But just the fact that they were watching it, and at first, because I heard a few curse words, and I wasn't even shocked at first. And then I, I realized, I'm like, wow, I, I'm hearing this from the TV. I come over to see what's going on. They're in the, the room that's right connected to our kitchen. So we're in the same space, but I'm cooking and not paying attention. And I just, I thought to myself, you know... This is where we are. This is the truth of what our expectations are with our children and television and their viewing habits. And so I want us to be better about it. it. The way to solve the problem is for us to make the changes ourselves, which means we have to turn some things off. And sometimes I'm really good about it. And other times, you know, it just flies right by because we've been desensitized. And I'm framing this from my perspective because I don't want what I'm saying to be lost in the fact that if I say, well, you this and when you that, I don't want people to to use that as an excuse to discount what I'm saying. I don't have any condemnation for people on this because we're all in a different place, but I know that we can do better about it. And the reason these shows continue to to be on television is that so many people watch them. If there weren't uh, numbers showing that they had viewers, if the ratings were low, the shows would be eliminated. And that's where we have to get to, where we're demanding a higher quality of content on television. And then we'll start to see people police up their own language because shows that get canceled for bad language, that would be an indicator to other people in everyday life that you also shouldn't be cursing when you're around people in person. I'm not calling for perfection or legalism or policing of speech unless it's the self-regulating that we can do with our speech. And it seems like it's not a big deal. I can't tell you how many times I've had someone who's a bedrock conservative tell me it's this is the way people talk. I have friends who talk like this and they're good God-fearing Christians, but this is the way they talk. And that may be. And so it's not about it's not about that. It's not about, you know, well, now you're not a good person because you you curse. No, it's just about this double standard that we have where we expect certain people to have pristine language while we're busy typing out our comment online and and dropping, you know, curse words. No one's perfect. Uh, But we we definitely could do some, we could use a car wash for the culture where we run the culture through the car wash and maybe we'd have to run it through there three or four times to get it it straight, but we need to do something. Uh, So thanks for the call from Rory. I appreciate that. We're going to take more calls in the next segment. We'll be coming back with a little bit of audio from Jordan Peterson on individuality if if you guys have heard of him he's a kind of a brilliant social commentator and uh, he's from canada so he has some different views i don't agree with him on everything but he has some important things to say we'll listen to that and we'll talk a little bit more and take your calls at 866-963-2037 866-963-2037 be right back Part of growing in Christ is learning how to encourage others. In doing so, you always gain strength for your own journey. It's kind of like you can't pray for someone in earnest and remain angry at them. You may not like what they've done, but the presence of God has a way of sifting the wrath right out of you. You can't encourage someone else in your walk and remain numb to the encouraging words yourself. As you encourage others, you begin to see that all things are possible in Christ Jesus. Your obstacles become visibly obtainable. 
In this world of self-centeredness and all about me, be extraordinary. Don't be the norm. Each day, stop and take a me poll to determine just where you are in your walk with the Lord. Encourage your brother or sister in the Lord in that area and watch God do some amazing things in your life. Your deliverance is resting in the power of your tongue. With a heart for the Urban Family, I'm today's Urban Woman, Tony Johnson. Connect with us at UrbanFamilyTalk.com. Here's what you missed on airing the Addisons. I fed Sam Witt. That's baby number five. He's a year and some change. I'm like, okay, I can finally eat now. So I'm sitting now, I'm eating. Man, Sam Witt run up to me covered in Vaseline, like <laughs> petroleum. I'm like, man, y'all can't watch? Three of y'all in here? Mariah Gabby and JD. I give Nathaniel, you know what I'm saying, a pass on it. He's not watching Sam Witt. The three-year-old is not responsible. Yeah, but he could have said something. He could have been like, ah, ah, ee, ooh, ah, whatever. You know. Thinking like Rand Allen. He doesn't talk like that. <laughs> yeah, he could have gave me, he could have gave me a ransom. Oh. Something. Something. And I'd have got up and been like, man, what's, what's up with that? Airing the Addisons, 6 to 9 Central on Urban Family Talk. This is what happens. <laughs> when I leave for a minute. Donald Trump's America. Like a reality show, the feud between President Trump and former White House aide Omarosa Manigault Newman is showing no signs of winding down. White House spokeswoman Sarah Sanders defended the president and his harsh language directed at Manigault Newman, in which he referred to her as a lowlife and a dog. Uh, I think the president is certainly voicing his frustration uh, with the fact that this person has shown a complete lack of integrity, particularly by the actions following her time here at the White House. Sanders said the president's language is not racist or misogynistic. The president is somebody who's always going to fight fire with fire. Uh, This is something that isn't new, and it's something the American people knew when they voted. Overwhelmingly elected him to be the president of the United States. Separately, the Trump campaign has filed an arbitration claim against Manigault Newman, claiming that she broke a 2016 non-disclosure agreement by disparaging the president in her new book. At the White House, John Decker, Fox News. Welcome back to Stacy on the Right on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. Well, even deeper that the right narrative is the way that we should view the world is victim versus oppressor, because that's the basic postmodern neo-Marxist template. It's the right way to view the world is that it's a po- it's a power ground. It's a what? It's a it's a battleground of power interests competing constantly. The ones that win are oppressors. The ones that lose are oppressed. That's the way you look at the world. And I think that that's wrong. That's a bad way of looking at the world psychologically, sociologically, politically, economically, ideologically, you name it. It it ends in nothing but catastrophe. I mean, first of all, because it puts your group identity as something that's paramount. And I mean, that's just not, well, that that isn't what we do in the West, let's say. We put your individual identity paramount. And then, well, that's that's just for starters. (laughs) <laughs> He's right. It's Jordan Peterson, Stacy Washington here, host of Stacy on the Right here on American Family Radio and Urban Family Talk. I gotta say, um, I was just like, look, here, here's here's the thing. It's not a zero zero sum game. So when you look at opportunity in America and the ability of really, we have people who've become millionaires and billionaires by turning nothing into something, turning an idea into something. And 
for it's it's not for nothing that I use the next example. Kim Kardashian has an app that's worth a half a billion dollars. An app where kids pay for it's like tokens in the game that they can buy clothes with for their avatar. And in the game, everyone is a version of Kim Kardashian. And so you're this super cute avatar and you get to dress it and go around Hollywood and do things that Kim Kardashian would do. And kids ask their parents for their allowance in money on this app so that they can play it with each other and dress up like this person. That is literally nothing. It's just a bunch of you know, zeros and ones or whatever comprises computer, uh, you know, programming now in an interface that is based upon her. Her celebrity is based upon really nothing. She's just famous for being herself. So I don't recommend that we all try to go out and, you know, emulate Kim Kardashian in her actions and the way that she lives. But it's definitely something that's unique to this country. Yes, other people now have personality-based businesses around the world, but the idea of it started here. So there's an opportunity for all of us, but if we're busy sitting around thinking about how we're victims, that can't be. You can't be successful and have a victim mentality at the same time. It just doesn't work. All right, let's go to the phones. We have Essence from Texas. Hey, uh, we also have room in the call lines if you'd like to get in before the end of this hour. It's 866-963-2037. Essence, thanks for calling the show. Hi, howdy, Stacey. Howdy. Um, I just wanted to say that our president is representing our country, so he has to clean up a bit and be above the people that are trying to break him down. I know he has uh, the New York attitude going on, so I'd like to see him rise above the riffraff. Hey, and Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, and you have a blessed day, ma'am. Thank you so much for calling. And I, I totally respect your, your comment there. You know, I have to say it's, it's interesting because when we talk, look, the, the standard is that you don't, every time someone hits you, you don't hit them back. I always go by what the, the behavior that I see people exhibit. So if I know what my expectation is, but then I also know what people are going to do. And, and when I say I know what they're going to do based on what they've done before, if it's, different and someone changes, then you have to reevaluate. I do think the president would be better served by not answering all of these attacks because if you don't answer, it takes all the wind out of the, the, you know, the, the, the fire. It basically chokes the fire out. The Bible says a soft answer turns away wrath. I've never really believed that until recently when I've tried it, especially with strangers um, it's not always immediate. It doesn't always work instantly, but it definitely does. It's, it's the truth. It's in the Bible. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit about the amount of media coverage that has been provided. But first, we'll go to another phone call. We have Crystal in Tennessee. Hey, Crystal, thanks for calling in. Oh, okay. Well, all right. So maybe we'll have Crystal in a minute. Um, Crystal in Tennessee? Yes? No? Okay. So the the news is reporting over at MRC TV. They're the ones who watch all the television and keep track of how many minutes are spent on each particular item. And they're saying over at ABC, CBS, and NBC, view, deluge their viewers with 31 minutes and 20 seconds of obsessive coverage about Omarosa. On Monday night and Tuesday morning, These same networks skimped over news that FBI agent Peter Strzok 
actually um, was fired. They gave nine minutes and six seconds of coverage to him being fired. Now, remember, when he was testifying before Congress, they gave him all the time they could because they felt like the Democrats were smacking the Republicans down. And Peter Strzok was so smart alecky and, and sharp with them. And they wanted to give him coverage. But now here we are. This news about him being fired should be top of every single news show because it's a big deal. But it's not um, because they're not reporting on it. Even NBC's Meet the Press moderator Chuck Todd lost it over Strzok being fired and President Trump praising the dismissal. Ranting that the president's criticism of Strzok was extraordinary and undemocratic, Todd said he was in fear that other civil servants would be intimidated by the supposed effort to character assassinate Strzok. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. All right. Now, Crystal in Tennessee, thanks for calling into the show. Hi, can you hear me? Yes, I can hear you. Thanks for calling. Okay, good. You know, you were talking about, um, you know, the cursing and the dropping the F-bomb and all that becoming kind of a acceptable way to talk. And, you know, we need to desensitize our kids and everything to that. But you know what gets me more than that when you turn on your TV is nowadays it's not just the cursing and dropping the F-bomb. But it's become acceptable for our kids to just see these cop shows where somebody's just shot right late in the head and, you know, found in a dumpster dismembered or these games on computers like Fortnite where they experience being snipers and think that's cool. And that's why all of our school shootings are happening. I mean, those things to me are appalling. Uh, yeah, I mean, so I'm, I'm not as convinced that... Um, the school shootings have to do with the video games. I think it has more to do with the, uh, the the students themselves, the environments that they're growing up in, their family lives, their home lives, and, and whether or not they are taking those psychotropic drugs for ADD and ADHD and, and anxiety and depression. Um, those have been proven to be present in a number of the kids who've gone on to do school shootings. I do agree with you that it's disconcerting. It's almost like, you know, if a child were to see someone who was actually dead in real life, they wouldn't be shocked by it because they've seen it so many times on television. And, and I don't know if that's true or not. You know, I have nothing, I have nothing to base that on because how often do children discover a dead body, but the showing of the dead bodies on TV is it's not just like norm. It's almost like every TV show has to have one of those things in it at the beginning of the show. And they used to kind of gloss the camera over it. If you think about law and order law and order SVU, those shows from 10, 15 years ago, they would show you the image of the person who'd been killed and then they'd have the, the whole show's the investigation of who did it. Now they pan over to the person and they leave it there for a sustained amount of time. So if, if you're trying to look away or not, you know, not really absorb it, you're literally looking at more than 60 seconds of them pouring over it and showing it to you. And, and it is something that I think has an impact on us. What the impact is, I don't know. But I do think it's gotten too far to one side. It's gone. It's gotten outrageous the the amount of uh, time that's spent on it. Thank you so much for calling today. Um, so I I wanted. So remember when when we just over the past couple of days we've heard Omarosa talk about how she's always known that Donald Trump was a racist. That he's been, um, you know, she she believes he heard she, that he said the N word when reality she took a bit of information that was unsubstantiated that there was a tape of him saying the N word. She called a bunch of Trump staffers and they were on a conference call together. And she told them she'd heard of this tape. They were shocked and they're like, Oh my goodness, no, what are we going to do? Cause they're in the communications department. Then she took 
a tape of that. And she's using that as substantiation that the president said the N word when what we would really need is the tape of him saying it. Right. Not a tape of her discussing the tape of him saying it. So in order to, I don't know, cleanse the palate, I thought you might enjoy listening to her in her previous mode. And maybe she was only paid to say these things. Maybe she never believed them. But at the time, we took her at face value and we thought this was a pretty good representation. This is on Nightline. And she's talking about the president and how he's going to win during the campaign. It's number one. Every critic, every detractor will have to bow down to President Trump. It's everyone who's ever doubted Donald, whoever disagreed, whoever challenged him. It is the ultimate revenge to become the most powerful man in the universe. Listen to her. It is the ultimate revenge to become. I mean, she's just a piece of work. (laughs) And so I find people who are defending her you know, because the president called her pejorative. I, I'm just surprised. I'm like, but are you paying attention? And again, I don't understand. I, I totally get she got fired. She wants revenge. But I don't understand her coming out and letting all of us know that she started making tapes back during the campaign. So she basically knew that the relationship or the working the working connection was going to end badly. And she started planning for that bad end from the first day what kind of employee is that how do you how do you defend that the breach of ethics the breach of private trust the fake loyalty the acting it was as if she was still in a reality tv show orchestrating events for a designated end to entertain viewers and so a few days ago i said i didn't think she'd be able to come out of this She's going to be on the left. She's going to be pretty popular for a while while they can still hold this stuff up. That While the story holds together, she's going to be pretty popular. But at some point, this is going to end. At some point, we'll be moving on to another presidency, um, either in 2020 or in 2024. You know, the president is, is, is um, not president for life. And at that point, when you're going to, because she used to work in previous presidential administrations. She was there in the Clinton administration. Um, there has to be work in the future. Who hires a person who from day one starts tape recording everybody without their knowledge and saving it? I I just don't see it happening. So perhaps it would. I mean, you can never tell what the future holds, but I, I just don't see it happening for her. And there's no good end to this is what I'm saying. It may look awesome, but I don't see there being a good end to it. So I found this piece and I think it's kind of appropriate because today is hump day. So you're just getting to the halfway point in the week. And I enjoy my work. When I talk about how happy I am, it's Friday. It's because I'm, I'm looking forward to resting, but I enjoy the work that I do. But it's no secret that a lot of us people were insomniacs and we can be sleep deprived. So I was kind of surprised to see this story by Sarah Napton, who's a science editor And she's talking about sleep deprivation, fueling loneliness because tired people are socially repellent. Now, I'm I'm not kidding. This is some interesting stuff. According to this, sleep deprivation is fueling the loneliness epidemic because overly tired people are less sociable. 
Researchers at the University of California, Berkeley, have found that sleep-deprived people feel lonelier and less inclined to engage with others, avoiding close contact in much the same way as people with social anxiety. The study also showed that tired people can pass along their feelings of social isolation to others, almost as if loneliness is contagious. So Matthew Walker is a professor of psychology and neuroscience at UC Berkeley. He says that sleep deprivation for people, humans, we're social, can turn us into social lepers. The less sleep you get, the less you want to socially interact. In turn, other people perceive you as more socially repulsive, further increasing the grave social isolation impact of sleep loss. So let's, okay, one more time. The less sleep you get, the less you want to socially interact. In turn, other people perceive you as more socially repulsive because you're not interacting, further increasing the grave social isolation impact of sleep loss. It's a vicious cycle that may be a significant contributing factor to the public health crisis that is loneliness. According to the Mental Health Foundation, only 38% of Britons say they regularly sleep well and one-third say they're chronically sleep-deprived. So they also did brain scans of sleep-deprived people as they viewed video clips of strangers showed spikes in areas responsible for social repulsion, which are activated when people feel their personal space has been invaded. Wow. So then they did a second experiment asking 1,000 online participants to look at pictures of well-rested and sleep-deprived people and judge whether they'd like to spend time with them. And sleep-deprived people were continually rated as lonelier and less socially desirable. After watching videos of the tired group, participants also reported feeling lonelier themselves. (laughs) So it's true. You need that sleep. If you don't get it, it makes you socially repulsive. I don't know if I believe it 100%, but it certainly makes me want to get to bed on time tonight. Get some rest. All right. That's our one. We'll be back with our two where we're going to talk about why blacks are the only people in America allowed to talk about how great it is to kill each other in our music. You don't want to miss that. Stay there. Stay there.